back when I was in high school, I ran track and cross country. And at the end of my sophomore year, I was selected as the most promising sophomore on my team. Uh, so I was pretty excited uh, by that, and I was kind of looking forward to heading into my junior and senior years as a runner. Uh, during one of the early cross-country races in the fall of my junior year, I was running a really good race. I, I was coming down a steep downhill slope, and as I sped downhill, I suddenly felt something pop right near my left hip, and I felt a sharp pain. Uh, I kept running, but the longer I ran, the more pain I felt, and by the final stretch to the finish line, I was literally hobbling along, just trying to barely finish the race. Well, after a trip to the doctor, I was told that I had pulled and torn the growth plate on my left pelvis, and I was going to have to be out for the next few weeks. Um, but a few weeks later, I wasn't healing like I was supposed to, and I had to accept the fact that I was going to miss the rest of the cross-country season. By the time winter track rolled around, I still hadn't healed. And in the end, I didn't end up running again until the spring of my senior year. Um, that injury had made me miss more than a full year of running. And so all the promise that, that I had kind of entering my junior year uh, never got fulfilled. For a high school athlete where school sports can be a pretty big deal, um, I was crushed when this happened. And in the months after my injury, I wondered why this had happened to me and why I wasn't healing faster. Um, and, and as a Christian, I was wondering, why, where was God in this? Why did God allow this to happen? And why wasn't he healing me so that I could get back to running? I was confused. I, was, I felt frustrated and I felt disappointed. Well, in today's text, Jesus has an encounter with two sisters who were asking some similar questions, but in a situation even more challenging than a sports injury. Uh, this summer, we've been going through a sermon series called Encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John, and we've been looking at these different encounters that Jesus has with different individuals in, in John's Gospel. And so today, my sermon title is Disappointment, as we look at how Jesus encounters uh, these two sisters, these two individuals in our text today, in the midst of their, di their deep disappointment. And, and, and as we look at how Jesus encounters them, um, I pray that God would teach us and, and, and show us how he's encountering us too in the disappointments we face in our lives. So our text today is John chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 37. It's a longer section, but a, it's, it's a good one, um, this account of Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha in John 11. So John chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, we'll have the verses on the screen or you can follow along in, in your Bibles. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord... The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. 
But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also called, known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the and the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us, which is living and active. And we pray that as we have heard your word proclaimed now as we study it together as, we, as, we, as you open it up to us. We pray that your spirit would minister to our hearts, God, and, and uh, speak to us, God, directly into our lives of, um, as, as you encountered uh, Mary and Martha, Lord. Encounter us today and, uh, and open our eyes to see how, you are, um, how you're calling us and, and how you're ministering to us in the midst of even disappointments we face in our lives. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're um, familiar with the story, you may have noticed that I didn't read the part where, spoiler alert, 
Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the dead. We're actually going to look at that part next Sunday. Um, Today we are focusing on Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha. Uh, Next Sunday we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with Lazarus as he encounters this dead man and raises him from the dead and see how that speaks to our lives. Um, So, But today we're going to focus on kind of this encounter with Mary and Martha. And as we focus on um, his, his encounter with these two sisters, we're going to start by looking at the experience of disappointment, um, their disappointment and ours. Uh, our passage begins with the news that this man named Lazarus was sick. Um, and we find out that Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And, and Jesus knew this family very well. Uh, and verse 3 tells us, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So they knew Jesus loved Lazarus. They, Jesus knew Lazarus. He knew Mary and Martha. He even says later in the passage that, that he loved um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and as they knew that Jesus loved their brother, they also knew Jesus had the power to heal. You know, he had done many miracles. We've seen that throughout John, right? Healing the blind man, healing this man who's laying at the pool. Um, and so by sending this message to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick, you can tell that they hoped Jesus might heal their brother, right? They're communicating this need to him. But then what happens? Lazarus dies. Jesus arrives at Mary and Martha's home. Lazarus has been in the, in the tomb for four days already. And so Martha goes out to meet Jesus, And we read in verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Later on, when Mary goes out to see Jesus, she says the exact same thing in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can can hear the deep disappointment in their words there. Each of them expresses a confidence that if Jesus had been with them, Lazarus would not have died because they believed Jesus would have healed him. Jesus had the power to do it. He loved him. But Jesus hadn't arrived in time. And now Lazarus was dead. And although they don't actually say it, the unspoken question here is, Jesus, why didn't you come in time to heal him? Why wouldn't you have done that, Jesus? Can you relate to the experience of Mary and Martha? You're hoping, maybe even praying for something to happen, and you're convinced that the thing that you want to happen would be a good thing. Maybe you've been praying for someone to be healed from a disease or a medical condition. Or maybe it's a relationship that needs healing. Maybe you've been hoping for a change at work, or maybe you're praying for growth and revival in our church. There's all kinds of things that, that hopes that we have and and things that we know this this would be a good thing, God, but then it doesn't happen, or it's not happening as quickly as you'd like. Maybe things look like they're actually moving in the opposite direction of what you would like to happen. And for Mary and Martha, It doesn't just move in the opposite direction. Lazarus dies. Their hopes are completely dashed of what Jesus could have done. 
and you're left feeling disappointed and discouraged. And you wonder why God didn't answer your prayer the way you had hoped for. You believe he could have, but he didn't. Well, in in this place of disappointment, which I think probably all of us can relate to, think of moments in our lives, maybe right now you're in the midst of a situation of, of this kind of disappointment. But in the midst of this, Jesus, he encounters us. And he encounters Mary and Martha. And as we look at how he encounters them, we'll see how he does something similar for us in the midst of our disappointments as well. So let's look at how Jesus encounters us in our disappointments. We're going to look at at each encounter here. We see that he actually meets Mary and Martha in very different ways in this passage, which reveals different ways that I think Jesus encounters us. Uh, We're going to start actually with his encounter with Mary first, and then we're going to go back to his interaction with Martha. So uh, when Martha went out to meet Jesus, the text tells us that Mary actually stayed home. Um, We don't know exactly why, but there's a good chance that Mary was just feeling so sad and disappointed that she just, she couldn't bear to go out and talk to Jesus right away. Um, But then Martha tells her that Jesus was asking for her. So Mary goes to Jesus, and as we saw earlier, she falls at his feet, and she tells him that if he'd been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Mary was, was weeping. She was overcome with emotion. And, and how does Jesus respond when he sees Mary weeping? It says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Um, the Greek words that are, that are used here, kind of behind that translation, literally mean to, to actually be angry or outraged in spirit and to be shaken. Um, when Jesus sees Mary's sorrow and pain, he has a very deep emotional response. He's angry with the reality of death and sorrow in this broken world. He he, he, he hurts for this daughter of his who is in pain. And then in verse 35, we read the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus encount- he, he enters into Mary's sorrow. He weeps along with her. This is the first way that Jesus encounters us in our disappointments. He enters into our sorrow. Now, it's important to point out that Jesus actually knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead when he does this, right? He knows the the end of the story here. Um, Earlier in the passage, Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus' sickness will not ultimately end in death. And he says that he's going there to wake him up. So Jesus isn't grieving the death of Lazarus. He's not sad that Lazarus is dead. He knows he's going to raise him in just a little bit. But he gets troubled and he weeps when he sees Mary weeping. Jesus cares about Mary. And so he enters into her sorrow with her. He doesn't spout off trite platitudes like, it's all going to be okay, or everything happens for a reason, or he's in a better place. He doesn't kind of just push away her her sadness. He asks to go to Lazarus' grave. And then he weeps there with Mary. This past week, I was listening to a sermon from um, a pastor here in New York, Pastor Rich Velotis, who pastors a New Life Fellowship Church in Elmhurst, Queens. 
And he was preaching on a Christian response to racial hostility in our world um, in response to what was happening in Charlottesville, Virginia. And one of the points that he made as he, as he was talking about this, how do we as Christians respond to what's going on in our world, especially around this issue of race? Um, he, he, he makes this point that as Christians, we need to cultivate the language and spiritual practice of grief and lament in response to racial hostility and racial division. Um, in Romans 12, 15, Paul tells us to mourn with those who mourn. And so when people are, are end, on the receiving end of, of racist comments or actions, our response as Christians should not be to sort of downplay or excuse those comments or actions, but to mourn with those who mourn. If someone's hurting, enter into that pain. Ask them about it. Join with them in grieving. Be angry along with them at the sin of racism and prejudice in our world. In his sermon, um, Rich gave the illustration of how in his marriage, when his wife gets angry or upset about something, his response is often to tell her to calm down or he tries to fix the problem or sometimes he just kind of runs away from it. Um, and he said, none of those responses works very well. I can also attest to that in my own marriage. Um, and so he, he shared that he'd, he'd gone to a therapist to actually talk about some of this. And his therapist told him, why not try joining your wife when she gets angry, upset, kind of enter into that with her and, and, and you know, feel sorrow and, and feel anger even about the situation that she's feeling. So he decided to try this. And when he did, she actually told him to calm down. Um, it helped. He was showing her that he cared about what she was going through rather than just kind of dismissing it or pushing it off. He cared enough to enter into her situation with her. God cares about our disappointments. He knows. He knows why he allows us to experience them. He knows the end of the story too. He knows what's ultimately going to happen in those disappointments. Sometimes it might be a miracle of resurrection. Sometimes he might do something to turn things completely around. But regardless of what he knows will be the result, that doesn't keep him from entering into our sorrow with us and coming near to us in the midst of our disappointment. Our Heavenly Father doesn't tell us to stop crying, pull ourselves together, and move on. He weeps with us. He's angry at the realities of suffering, sickness, pain, and death in our world. Those things were never meant to be a part of his good and perfect creation. So he's angry at the sin in the world and the brokenness that's there. And he mourns this. In fact, God was so willing to enter into our sorrow that he became one of us. The God-man, Jesus Christ, entering fully into our broken world, experiencing all that we experience. And so when Jesus wept, that means God himself wept. And we see the culmination of this on the cross as Jesus took all the sorrow and pain and suffering of the world upon himself. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Jesus took our sin. He took all of its consequences upon himself. And so Jesus, he knows suffering. He knows sorrow. He knows it even more than we can even imagine. What he experienced on the cross. 
as he took all of that upon himself. And he did that in order to pay for it and extinguish it once and for all, to open up a new world where there will be no sorrow, no suffering, no weeping, no disappointment. That's how much he loved us, to go through that, to embrace it himself so that he could open up a new way for us. And that leads to the second way that Jesus encounters us in our disappointments. He reveals that he himself is the answer to our disappointments. Jesus' encounter with Martha is, is quite different from his interaction with Mary. Uh, Martha, she's, as we said, she says the same thing to Jesus. Jesus, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. He does, she adds that, that, that moment, that sentence of sort of saying, but even now I believe that you can do, you know, the Father will, will answer your prayer. Um, and so Jesus, he responds to her differently. In verse 23 and 24, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Um, Martha, she believed just as most of the Jews in the society at that time, that, that at the end of the world, there would be a resurrection of all people, the righteous to everlasting life, the wicked to judgment. Um, there were some, the Pharisees who believed that, Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, but, but Martha says, yeah, I confess that, I believe, that's going to happen someday, there's going to be a resurrection. But then Jesus, he makes it very much more personal in verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. And the life, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus basically makes the claim that that, that resurrection at the, at the last day, the only reason it's going to happen is because of him. He is the resurrection. The one who believes in him will live even though they die. I am the resurrection. The only hope of Lazarus or anyone else being raised to, to life, to resurrection life in the last day is because of Jesus, because of what he was about to do, to what he was about to accomplish through his death on the cross and through his own resurrection from the dead. It is only through Jesus that we can have that hope of resurrection. But then Jesus goes even further to say, I am the life. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is saying that anyone who believes in him will not only have this, this future hope of being raised after death, but will have life. And it's the kind of life that goes on forever. He says they will never die. Now, Jesus is not saying that people who believe in him will never physically die. But he's saying that physical death can't break the true eternal life that they've been given through Jesus. That even when we pass from death, from, from, from our life into death, that, that our eternal life will just continue on, right? We'll be with, with our Lord. So how does all of this show that Jesus is the answer to our disappointment? How does Jesus being the resurrection and the life, how does that make a difference when, when the things that we've been hoping for and praying for don't happen? Well, let me try to illustrate this. My two kids, who you saw maybe up here, right, Lucas, just turned four years old last week, and Sophia, uh, a year and a half old, 
they often have expectations of what they want to happen. And there are many times where they are disappointed because Rochelle or I have to say no to what they want. And sometimes it's not a bad thing they're asking for, but we just can't give it to them at the moment. They have to wait or it's not the right timing for the thing that they're asking for. Other times we're trying to teach them by, by saying no, teaching them to delay gratification. Other times, the thing that they want, we know, wouldn't be good for them. So we're, we're saying no, because even though they think they want it, we realize, no, that's not, that's not going to be good for you. Now, it's difficult to say no to your child, especially when their response is crying or getting upset. But one thing that I have learned to do, which doesn't always work, but, it, but I've found that it, it often does, is in that moment, as I'm saying no to the thing that they're asking for, I try to show them in that moment what I am saying yes to, which often means inviting them into something even greater than what they're wanting. Uh, one of those things that I, that I sometimes do is inviting them to walk our dog Willow with me. So as, they're, they're, as I'm saying no to this thing, I say, hey, why don't we go take Willow for a walk? And it's amazing. They love that, right? Sophia can immediately shift from crying about something to all of a sudden running with glee to the door to go with me and pulling out her stroller to go outside and walk Willow. Um, other times, I'll just pick Sophia up in my arms and tip her upside down and back up. She's loving that right now, kind of being upside down. And, and often in those moments, as, as I, their, their fathers, I'm kind of just taking them into life. I'm, I'm embracing them and and as they're kind of enjoying this moment of life with me or Rochelle, the thing that they were so disappointed about just kind of fades away. They don't, they're not so upset about that thing anymore because they're being invited into something with their dad that they're loving right now. Jesus is the answer to our disappointments because life with him overshadows any disappointment we might experience in our lives. I know it doesn't always feel that way, but when... We are consumed with, with what didn't go our way or with the prayer that get, God didn't answer the way we wanted. Jesus comes to us and he reminds all of us of all the things that he has said yes to for us, that he has forgiven all our sin, that he has adopted us as his children, that he's given us the Holy Spirit to transform us and lead us. And he's invited us into an eternal life with him that we can experience both now and forever. I mean, when, when, we, when our father just takes us and says, look, at, I'm saying no to this right now, but look at all of what I'm saying yes to. Look at all that I've given you. Look at all of, of what I'm, in, and, and I'm showing you. Jesus says to us, my kids, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that life with me will overshadow any of those disappointments that you're dealing with right now? When Jesus said this to Martha, her response in verse 27 was, Yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Martha responded with faith, and she trusts in Jesus as the answer to her disappointment. And I want you to realize 
that she responds this way not knowing that Jesus was about to raise her brother from the dead. He was going to do it. He was going to fix it all. But she didn't know that at that moment. In fact, when Jesus, we'll see this in the passage next week, when Jesus says, open up the grave, Martha says, what are you thinking about? He's been dead for four days. That's going to stink, right? So she doesn't expect that Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. But she still trusts him, that he's the resurrection and the life. He's the Messiah. There are times when God will transform our disappointments. When he does a miracle of resurrection. Um, back in that situation with me, with, with my injury back in high school, you know, one of the things that God did in me is I wasn't able to run. I kind of decided to try out for the school play. And I developed this love for, for acting, for theater, that I never would have done if I hadn't gotten injured. And so God kind of redeemed that. He brought up a new thing of, of life in my, in my life. Sometimes God does that, right? Sometimes even the thing that we think is dead, that we think is, is, is on its way to death, God resurrects. He brings it around. He turns it around on us. There are times where we think, you know, that a relationship is, there's, it's, it's beyond all hope. But then Jesus brings it back to life. He can do that. But there's other times where he may not. Where the thing we're praying for, it ends in death. That person that we're praying for it doesn't go the way we want. But the reality is that regardless of what happens in a particular situation, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That he is still the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. He is still the God who enters into our sorrow and weeps with us. So even when things don't go the way we want, we know that our God is with us. He cares for us. He is the God of all comfort, as we heard Sarah read from the 2 Corinthians passage. And he's also the one that we know with confidence one day will return. And when he does, he will bring an end to all sorrow and all suffering. There will be no more need for weeping or tears. All disappointment will be gone. And on that day, we will experience the fullness of the resurrection and the life that Jesus has promised to us, all those who believe in him. And so for those of us who, who believe in our Lord Jesus, we will live even though we die. And because we have eternal life in him, ultimately, we will never die. And so Jesus' question to Martha is the same question to us. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you do, it's yours. You have that confidence. If you're not sure you believe it, I'd love to talk with you. And, and, and I pray that one day you'll be given that gift of faith to trust that this is for you too. Um, Jesus wants to offer that gift to each one of us. So let's pray together as we close. Lord, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life and that, that you have given us this promise that even though we all one day will die physically, Lord, that because of Jesus' death on the cross in our place, because of his resurrection, Lord, that, we, that death will not be the end, that we will be raised to new life, to eternal life with you, Lord. And we thank you that we can even experience that life now, today, with you. Life with 
you as our Savior, as our Lord, the one who is the resurrection and the life to us, Lord. And, and so we pray that, that uh, you would give us the faith to trust that, Lord, to trust that you are the resurrection, you are the life, and that, that if we believe in you, we have that hope and that promise that is sure, that no one can take away, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that in the midst of our disappointments, we would hold on to that truth, hold on to the, that reality, that, that no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter the things that we may wish were happening, God, that, that none of that ultimately changes who you are and changes our eternal destiny and changes the hope that you've given us for the future. Um, and so, Lord, we thank you that, you that you are also a God who enters into our sorrow and our sadness and our disappointments, God, that you don't just stand far away, but that you are the God of all comfort, that you come near to us, and that you even grieve and weep with us, Lord. And so I pray that your, your, your presence would be, would be real and would be felt by us, Lord, in those moments when we are feeling discouraged, that we will call out to you, Lord, rather than running away from you, but that we'd invite you to, to your spirit to minister to us, Lord, even in, with groans, Sometimes we don't have the words to pray as we're feeling discouragement, disappointment, that you would minister to us in those times, God. And so thank you, God, for being the God who is with us and is for us. Um, and thank you ultimately that you are the resurrection, you are the life. Um, and so we thank you for that promise today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.